This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I'm actually joined today by a very special guest. This is super fun for me. I'm joined by a man who for years was my pastor. I served alongside and underneath his uh, ministry at Sailorville Church. Uh, He is named Pat Nemmer. So, Pat, welcome to the Equip Podcast. Great to join you, Mark. So, this is super fun for me. I I mean, and I'm just going to tell you who are listening, I'm... I'm probably going to call him Pastor Pat the whole time because that's, I don't know, Pastor Pat, what else? I know I could just call you Pat, but it's weird for me still to do that because of who you- Let me just say this, Mark, because I do the same thing with my first pastor, David Graham. I Oh, yeah. It took me years. I do now call him Dave. And Mark, for the sake of your podcast here on Equip, I'm going to make it official Call me Pat. I'm happy with you. Oh, my goodness. Well, if I'm able to, I will. But even now, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) But I I love you, Pat. And you've been just a huge influence in my life, one of my real spiritual heroes. You have recently written a book that has reflections on your life. I'm going to say the title so everybody listening hears it. It's called Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. It's coming out the second week of November in 2022 from Credo House um, Publishers. And it was just full of stories about life, about ministry, and I loved reading it. And I thought, man, I, I want the chance to talk with you about this and share a little. But before we go too further, let's just introduce you to people who may not know you. Who are you? Where are you doing ministry right now? And maybe share a little bit of our kind of history connection to each other, Pat. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Pat Nemers, I'm at Sailorville Church here in uh, North Des Moines, as north as you can get. We're, we're affectionately South Ankeny. Uh, And I've been here since 1998. I'm actually in my 25th year here at Sailorville Church right now. So, uh, and so I was a, uh, I, I came here uh, having seven kids. My wife had three kids. We were widow and widower. God put us together about a year before we came to Sailorville. And uh, so uh, we came with our large tribe. So we filled up a pew right away. And uh, it wasn't just a few years after we were here. We we made some transitions and uh, uh, we had a tremendous music leader. Uh, he moved on and we were looking for somebody else. And I got an email from a certain Mark Vance, who was, uh, <laughs> who was just, who just graduated from college, who put himself forth as the possible uh, music guy in our church. You were much, much more than that. And uh, the rest is history. You came on as our music and education pastor. And uh, so you served here. How many years did you serve here at Sarahville? Oh, man, Pat, you would ask. I think it was a little over five. Yeah, I thought it was five. I think. Five. Yeah, five, maybe almost six. Yeah. Yep. I, can yeah, still- I learned, learned so much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, it's been a great run. You, you got to be in on the front end of our church planting ministry that we had and to meet a number of our church planters. You have great friendships oh, here yes. at Sarahville Church. Including my direct uh, assistant, my direct uh, our elder over our administration here, Abe is a good friend of yours, and yep. uh, we're thankful for the associations we've had historically with Cornerstone Church. Well, Pastor Pat, again, I I can't thank God enough. I was a very proud 
um, very inexperienced young man that you were more than patient with. And those years at Sailorville were some of the most enjoyable crystallized whole lives. It's Sailorville Church, if you don't know about it, is a God, godly gospel-fueled church that just loves seeing people come to know Jesus. And so, so many of our dearest friends in the world still are members of that church, and it's a wonderful congregation and a reflection of your leadership. And I hope in some ways, you know, to get a little taste of that out in this podcast. So, you have some phrases and even stories, Pat, that reading in this book, I have referred back to in ministry over and over again. And so I'm going to, what I'm going to do is almost like less than word association, but I'm going to say a phrase and I want you to just launch off and tell me the stories connected to it because this is what life around you is like for me. So one of them, I say this all the time, guys, you just have to remember that paths lead to places. What does that mean? And where does that come from? Okay, well, I'm not that smart of a guy, but you know, I'm like the blind squirrel that finds an acorn once in a while and, and uh, turn a phrase and whatever. But that's the phrase that came to my mind. Actually, it was in the middle of a, a meeting. Uh, it was actually kind of a serious meeting. And I tell about it in the book uh, where I met with a man who, had, uh, who was really struggling with uh, same-sex attraction. And as a result of that, he, he did something inappropriate. And uh, came to me and described what had happened. And in the midst of our conversation, he said, and I just happened to, I found myself at a gay bar. And I remember, and in that very moment, I thought of all that plethora of Proverbs that use the whole metaphor of the path. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, beware the path of the evil one and all this kind of stuff. So, And so I, I looked at this young man and I said, you didn't just end there. You had to get there. You had to. You had to think about that place. You had to you had to drive to that area. You had to drive past the bar. I I, I and in that moment I thought of and this is negatively speaking because the phrase can be used positively as well. Paths lead to places. Nobody ever just ends up in a place. There's a path that gets you there. And that's the place where the victory or the defeat occurs. It's on the path, not at the place. Yeah, I I have used that with I don't know how many college students, Pat, just that exact scenario. You ended up there because that path took you to a place. You had this way in ministry of just, even just referencing Proverbs, bringing scripture up. I I didn't put this on our list of questions, but I want you to talk about that. Just how have you cultivated that habit of having God's word fresh? You know, quoting from, memorizing it. Talk a little bit about that habit in your life, because I've loved that over the years. Well, uh, I, I don't, all I know, Mark, is when I came to Christ, I was 24 years old. I was a young man and I was convinced beforehand that the Bible was the word of God. Even as a Catholic boy, I believed the Bible was God's word. I didn't reverence it. I didn't read it. But once I came to know Jesus as my savior, I thought, well, I have to know him. I mean, this isn't rocket science. If I'm going to know him, I have to listen and read, read his word. So somewhere in there, I made a commitment. I know you've heard this. I don't say this proudly. I'm, I, I guess I say it because I know myself. I know my own temptations. I know my own proclivities. I have to hear from God before I leave the home. And I know you've heard this. I, mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. the day I came to know Jesus in September of 1982, not, there's never been a day, not even one, that I've left my home without reading my Bible. And there've been times where I've had emergencies and called away and almost legalistically, I open up where I was in Psalms or where I was in Jeremiah and, and, and just, just say, God, I have to hear from you even for a moment and then bug out. 
but I, that habit has been there all my life. And then I kind of have a philosophy of memorizing scripture, you know, the proverbial scripture that, you know, that jumps out at you, the Rama. I have a son that named his daughter Rama. Uh, and, you know, that whole business of that specific word, you know, the word that the spirit of God works in, you know, conjunction with, you know, the word of God to say, people say, how do you memorize scripture? And I say, well, I try to memorize the ones that I sense the Lord is telling me to memorize, the ones that convict me, comfort me, urge me, you know, spur me on. And and then I if I do that, uh, and if I share it with other people, it stays fresh and and mm-hmm. I'm just grateful for that because that, that's the only thing I have. I I don't have a whole lot more than what God has given me in his word. Yeah. I, I think it's an awesome habit. And I mean, man, there's that might be something for somebody listening to pick up that just don't leave your home without the word and take some time to put it in your heart. That that prompts me one of my all-time favorite stories of yours. So this one, I call it the John 14, 6 story. And it really is off of those early days when you came to know Christ, believing that, okay, God can give me a word of scripture and I'm supposed to use that and share it with somebody. So I want you to tell the John 14, 6 story. I love this one from your life. Well, I can actually tell you, it's probably the only, I, I know the first and second verses I ever memorized after that, I couldn't give you any word count. The first verse I ever memorized was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it's the first verse I ever give anybody who comes to know Jesus as their savior. You know, if you're, you know, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. But the second verse I memorized was John 14, 6, which says, you know, I am, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. I was a Christian for exactly one week. And I had memorized that verse and I went to a kegger with uh, with my friends and my wife, Nina, at the time. My, Nina is in heaven. And your folks knew my wife, Nina. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nina, I still have memories of playing memory of her when you were little. little tiny memories of playing with uh, Sarah with Nina. Oh, yeah. So uh, and just for just for the listener's sake, uh, uh, I lived right across the street from Mark Vance's home where his dad and mom, we are not across the street, across the hallway. Yeah. Apartment and, uh, building. And Mark and uh, Mark, you and my daughter, Sarah played it, played and ran back and forth and a lot of fun. So anyway, so I had, so I came to know Jesus as my savior, memorized uh, John 14, six, I just, which I just quoted. I was at a kegger and, uh, and I told nobody yet that I had become a Christian. And, uh, and my best friend was arguing with his fiance about what church they should get they should get married in, and uh, what the she was from a mainline church, uh, and uh, he was from the same church I grew up in, the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, and they pulled me over with all their friends around because they knew because you know I was a I was a talk, I know this is going to shock you, Mark. I was a talker then, even before I became a Christ, Christian, and then after a shock, <laughs> but they pulled me in and they said, Pat. And she, he, he literally says, Pat, tell Sue, obviously, what church we ought to get married in. And the first words out of my mouth were, I said, well, I wouldn't get married in either one if they didn't preach the gospel. And I mean, you should have seen all my friends. I think they thought I'd been kidnapped by aliens and, you know, put something else in my body, you know, somebody else in my body. They're looking at me like, what? And I said, well, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. If that church isn't preaching that Jesus is the only way, I wouldn't get married in it. And uh, they're looking at me like, what? what are you talking about? You know, and they said, what about, and they started, they said, what about our friend Gordon here? He'd do anything for anybody. You're not telling me he's not going to heaven. 
And I said, well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And uh, they've said, well, wait a minute. What about these nuns? They're praying. They go through rosaries and they're praying. You can't tell me they're not going to heaven. Mark, I only knew one verse, John 14. <laughs> and I mean, we went from one thing to another. What about the Muslims? They're bowing down to Mecca. John 14, 6. For three hours, and I'm not exaggerating because we went out to breakfast after this. For three hours, I held them off with one verse of scripture. And uh, I remember getting home that night, laying in bed, thinking that was, it was such an awesome experience to witness for Jesus with my very best friends. And I remember thinking, you know, God, if one of your verses is this powerful, you know, you know, how effective would I be if I knew like two or three? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, that's the John 14, six story. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to tell, but it's a greater truth to know the, the power of God's word. That was my first indication of the raw power of scripture. And, uh, and that might be part of the answer to the question you asked before. Why do I love to memorize scripture? Maybe it's because of that experience. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, growing up, Pastor Pat, we've, I've known you for so long, known your, your family, some of your, your kids are some of my dearest friends. And, um, walking with you through that, one of the privileges was not just doing ministry alongside you, but um, seeing God work in you, around you, and even just in heartbreaking ways inside your family. Um, many people listening to this who are connected to Cornerstone Church will know Daniel Nimmers, your son, recently sent out to be a church planter in Bloomington, uh, Illinois, and has gone through and been part of our Salt Company staff here. And Daniel and John, your youngest, were, you know, peas in a pod through high school. And I remember many times as a, you know, staff praying for God's work in their life. And you share a little bit about that in the book. And it's a window that thank you for giving people into a really painful season, but something that God has turned into something incredibly beautiful. And so I wonder if you're willing, I'd love you to share a little bit of John's story, just lessons you learned from a wayward child and what God's done through that. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. I'm happy to do it. There is a, there is a chapter in the book, uh, uh, just by his name, by John. And by the way, the premise of retractions is that is that once you've been humbled by your own sins or just wrongheaded thinking or just you know bad decisions, once you've been humbled, don't waste that that humility. Uh, cultivate it by retelling the story. I mean, you're not culpable for that sin anymore. You're forgiven of it. But why can't you help other people? By telling the story, and then also you're helping to cultivate humility in your own life. I think by doing so, and um, and John is really John and Daniel. You referenced Daniel. I mean, they're both church planters. John's a church planting resident with the uh, Engaged wow. Network here, and you're right; they are two peas in a pod. They're they're very close to one another. They're best of friends, and um, and John and Daniel both had gone off the radar. And again, you know, Mark, you had a front row seat to all of that. If you'll recall, some of the only time I could ever connect with John is when we would play basketball together. Remember that when we'd oh, all yeah. play basketball Absolutely. together? Yeah. I would get John to play. And I remember he wore this, like this, he wore this ugly gargoyle-ish t-shirt. And I remember one of our friends going, what do you got that demon shirt on? He wouldn't, he didn't even, <laughs> he didn't even fly. But it was the one way we'd, I'd connect with him. And so there were about four to five really, really hard years. And this was in the midst of a church that was growing. You knew that. This was oh, yeah. in a church that was seeing people get saved and baptized. We were planting churches. 
And I was dying death by a thousand cuts every day because of John and Daniel, both not living for the Lord. People would say to me, uh, how can we pray for John and Daniel? And I would say, you know, pray that they'll be converted, you know, whatever converted means. And it wasn't that my theology was bad. I just, you know, they both claimed to be Christians and neither one of them looked like a Christian, you know. It actually, it actually turned out to be a pretty good prayer request because as it turned out, Daniel was a Christian, just wasn't walking with Jesus and John wasn't. John was the one who took the hard, hard, triple hard uh, stage left, um, started getting in lots of trouble, became very dark in his ways and uh, started getting in, uh, started getting in, in fights. He actually got in a fight and beat a kid up really, really bad, really, really bad. And uh, in fact, I had to take him to the police station at that time. And he got a more than a slap in the hand, but I thought that would be enough to just warn him. You know, he'll, he'll get it now. Uh, three weeks later, I don't even think it was three weeks later. He did the same thing. He punched a kid at school. Only this kid was bigger than him. He punched him back and basically decked John, gave him a big old, big old black eye. John took off running. The cops were called. The search warrant went out for John. And it was a real, and so he got arrested. Uh, he was put in juvenile detention center. Mark, the hardest thing I've ever had to do was to watch my son put, have handcuffs put on him, placed in a police squad car and driven off. I was, that's, I think that's the lowest time I've ever been in my life. Lower than it was when I lost my wife. And I write about that wow. too. Wow. And, um, and I was really down. I, I submitted myself. I think you were there. I may, uh, I submitted myself to the elders and, and I was willing to submit a resignation. Uh, but he was only 16. It wasn't quite a scandal, kind of borderline, but it wasn't quite a scandal. And boy, the, the deacons and other elders were just, uh, so merciful and kind to me. And, um, and so that's how it all started. And he, John came back with an ankle bracelet and, um, you know, he was had, and he was still dark. He hadn't changed. And, uh, one night I was laying in bed and it was a Saturday night, Mark. It was, it was two o'clock in the morning. I'd waited for John to get home. He was supposed to be home at 11 because he'd been warned if he got caught doing anything wrong, he'd be put into big boy jail. And that was not a veil. That was not a vain warning. That's what was going to happen to him. And he, he wasn't home, wasn't answering his phone, wasn't answering text. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. I got to preach that. It's, it's Saturday night. It's Sunday morning now. He's still not back. And I am pleading with God with tears. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, this is not hyperbole. Tears coursing down my, my cheeks in bed. My wife is sleeping. She doesn't know he's not home. I'm not telling her. And I'm pleading with God, oh, God, save him. Oh, God, deliver his soul. And Mark, it was like a charismatic experience. I'm not kidding you. I didn't hear a voice or anything like that. But it was like God himself spoke to me in the moment and said, you're not trusting me. And I literally talked back to him. I said, no, God, I, I do. I, I do trust you. And it's like God said, no, 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 you're not. And I said, no, Lord, I trust you. No, no, you don't. You you have made an idol out of your son's salvation. You're more, you want to honor him more than you want to honor me. And God, I'm telling you, God broke me in that moment. He revealed to me that John's problem was more about me than it was about John. And 
I mean, I'm telling you, Mark, I was broken. I was as repentant as I was the day I trusted Jesus. I said, God, I repent. I'm sorry. You're right. I've made too much about John. Please forgive me. I And Psalm 63, verse 3 is what I had memorized earlier, which says, your loving kindness is better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And it was like God saying, "It is my loving kindness really better than life itself? And I told him that night, it is, Lord, I repent. I will honor you above John. And I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I had a peace like I'd just gotten saved. I was totally at peace. I fell asleep. John didn't come home that night. Uh, in fact, it got worse before it got better. He came razor close to getting thrown into jail. But I had something I didn't have before. I had peace because I was no longer chained to the idol of my son. I did. I mean, I had to get to a place where I realized, God, you might not save him, but I'm going to be the best dad I can be, all things, you know, considered. Hmm. And then, you know, uh, this we don't have the time for the podcast, but it was just about three, three or four months later, God got a hold of his heart. And Daniel was a part of it. He'd gotten in. Anyway, through a series of circumstances, he broke his shoulder, got in a fight. He got in a fight with a four-time national wrestling championship. Not the guy you want to get in a fight with. Yeah, no. He was never the smartest kid, you know? (laughs) Broke his shoulder. And Daniel really looked at, picked him up and take him to the hospital. (laughs) Daniel goes, what are you doing with your life? And that question just rattled John to the core John would shortly thereafter repent, believe the gospel, and now he's preaching the gospel that he spurned most of his high school life. He's a joy to our lives now. That's the story of John, which is really a story about me, and the re- and I had to retract the idol that I'd had in my heart. Well, Pastor Pat, I love it. It it really is for all of you listening. When I served at Sailorville Church, we would do these pastoral staff meetings, and Half of them, Pat would just come in with stories. And I, I'm sure at times Abe and I goofed off more than we should have there, but man, they were a lot of fun. And I look back on that, which so many fond memories, so much that I learned, you know, the Bible says to study the example of our leaders and seeing the outcome of their faith to emulate that example. And, um, Pastor Pat, I want to just again thank you while we got you on the podcast for the example of godliness you've been in my life and uh, been a pastor to me in many, many ways through the years. And I love the chance that people get to almost pull up a chair in a pastoral meeting and hear these stories through your book. It's really fun for me to share. So again, I'm going to point it out. It's Retractions is the book. It'll be coming out wherever you can get books. Second week in November, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. And you can look it up with the publisher as well. It's called Credo House Publishing, which is out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Excellent publishing house, but really thankful for that. One last shameless plug. I do have, there is a a website, just patnemers.com. You can find it there too. So catnumbers.com will get you there. And uh, so when the time comes, you get the book or the ebook, whatever you want to do. That's wonderful. Well, Pastor Pat, thanks again for a little bit of time uh, today on the Equip Podcast. And thanks for your faithfulness and gospel ministry through the years. Really love you. Mark, thanks for the invite. Love you too. Praying for your ministry regularly, as I know you do for ours. 